hear me? Does that sound wrong? Okay. Um, so we were, we were, the men, we reworked the schedule this week on preaching, and I'm preaching a lesson today. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is, this is not something that we're studying to apply to our lives 10 years down the road. This is something we as a congregation are going to deal with and it is in our society, it is all over, uh, around us. And so, there's a complex slide presentation put together to try to use God's word to illustrate some things so that we can all come to an understanding, so that we can have unity of the faith. And that's what I'm going to try to do this morning is to articulate God's word on marriage and what his expectations are. So, um, we're going to use a slideshow. I'm not going to, we're going to be reading verses off the slide. I'm going to be working over here. And I, as we start this, um, and this has no authority for what we're just going to talk about. This is to illustrate how society has changed, okay? This has no authority on what we're going to talk about, but it's to illustrate how the ball has moved in about 80 years, okay? We all know the royalty of England. Queen Elizabeth sat on the throne because her father took over the throne from the king. He advocated the throne because he was going to marry a divorced American woman. Okay? He gave up the throne. This has nothing to do with authority about what we're going to talk about here. It, I'm trying to illustrate to you how far in 80 years, we can come as human beings. So 80 years ago, 90 years ago, whatever it is, I didn't look it up. A king advocated the throne. Queen Elizabeth's father took over. He died at the beginning of World War II. She, or during World War II, or somewhere in that neighborhood or right afterwards, she took over. And now you can see where the Church of England is today. That is not our authority, okay? That's all it is, just illustrating. And those people are no better than you and I. In allowing society, the devil, to move us from God's will. So, God's will is what we're after this morning. Not Clay's, not yours, not the Church of England. It's God's will. That's what we've got to go back and do. So, God's will on marriage. Back all the way, and remember, Christ used this, okay? So in Genesis 20, in Genesis 2, 24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is God's teaching from the beginning. Matthew 19.6 So they are no longer two, 
but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. What God has joined together, no person is to separate. That passage has meaning to marriage. And it's different from what man sees today. So God joins people together. Now we're going to come back later. We're going to talk about that. If you notice, and we're not going to develop this on this slide here. There's a marriage and there's a bond. Let me repeat. There is a marriage. There's a bond. God is in this marriage. It is the bond that God put there. And we're going to articulate that. Because it's going to be seen in the scriptures wherever you understand that. We're going to talk about that later. This is very important. This sounds simple. But look, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And he answered and said to the Pharisees, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, he made them male and female? In this presentation, I'm going to try to draw you to understand whenever you start letting parts of this go, all the bricks of the building are going to fall. He made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God has joined them together. No one separate. We're going to come back to this in an illustration. God's will. We are supposed to be, what is, what is God's will on marriages? They're for life. This is seen in Romans 7. Verses 2 through 3. We're going to come back to this passage because there's a lot in this passage that we need to understand because it's going to help us understand God's teaching in the Gospels. Paul's teaching here helps us understand some things. But the whole point is, is for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then if while her husband is living she is joined to another man to another man she shall be called an adulteress but if her husband dies she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress though she is joined to another man so death death changes the marriage relationship and I think we all would say okay Claire I understood that we're going to come back to that passage because it helps us understand Christ's teaching in Luke and Matthew and Mark. Uh, same thing is stated in, in um, 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married whom she wishes. So now we are bound, this word bound here, we have two passages that are using this word bound. 
And it's key that you start looking at that word bound. Now, some of the translations actually translate some of the other Greek words. We're not going to get into some of that today. What I'm trying to articulate to you is Christ's teaching and why he teaches what he teaches. And I'm using these verses here to, to get us to understand that there is a marriage and then there's what God has joined together, what God has bound. Okay? So, in summary, we're married, we're joined by God, we're bound by God until death. Man is not to separate. We can't do that. I can't do that. Sandra, we specifically put this passage in our marriage vows. What God has joined together, let no man, including me, separate. Include her dad. Include her mother. So we're bound by God's law of marriage. We read that, and we're going to come back to some of that. We're going to discuss that more. To each other in marriage, we're bound to each other. Sandra and I are bound to each other by God. We're married by man, but we're bound to each other by God. Now, this is an illustration to try to show you I'm hoping to pique your interest how quickly if we don't look at these verses and we don't obey these verses how quickly we can fall down. So we have, and I don't even know what the thing stands for, Respect for Marriage Act. I don't, I don't even know what it stands for. I, legally I, I, I'm always wondered is, is that something just, you know, it was a piece of political theater. But our country just passed that and it has to do with homosexuality. But the whole point is, is how are you going to argue that if two, if two men and two women are married, they're married. In our country today, that can happen. How are you going to argue that they're not living in sin? But you're going to argue because God's not in that relationship. God is not here. They are not bound. From the beginning of time in Genesis, he didn't start the relationships that. There's no covenant relationship. God did not join them together. So guess what? There's sin. I don't care what people say today. This is God's teaching. But what I'm trying to illustrate to you, how quickly... Whenever you take one brick out of God's teaching, the wall's going to fall down. We, as Christians, are living this today. I hope you see that. Let's go to Luke 16, 18. Luke 16, 18. <coughs> Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Let's look at what this passage says here. It says there's a divorce. There is a marriage. Everyone, and, and guys, open your Bible. This is Christ. This is not 
like, this is not me. This is Christ. And that's why I'm telling you, that's why I started off, you better watch out where we go in eight years. How far we can go in 20 years is absolutely amazing. And we didn't get there in 20 years. We've been down this path for many years. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. That should make it, in today's world and logic, that should have you scratching your head. How can I be divorced from my wife? And I can go get remarried. And Christ is saying I'm committing adultery. How can that be? And he who marries the one that was divorced is divorced. So this person up here is divorcing their mate. This person has been divorced. And from that person, they're living in adultery. The and, and who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Okay, so let's go through this. We have a divorce. Now, everybody here knows there's other teachings. I'm starting out this passage because it's pretty easy to establish some things, in my opinion. And this is a presentation that's put together by a lot of people, but Mark did 99% uh, of the work, so make sure you, uh, I'm going to give Mark credit. Divorce. Everyone who divorces his wife and not for fornication. That's what that NFF is. Everyone who divorces by so there's a divorce. The man here divorces his wife. What happens to the man? It says he marries another and commits adultery. It did not say they are living together. Do you understand that? It says marries. They went to the courthouse. They had a celebration. Maybe even a preacher married them from a religious ceremony. Do you see that all of this is there? So why is God's teaching this way? And so the other question is, and so, and he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. So now, we have the man that did divorcing, the woman that was divorced, put away. They're both living in adultery, but they've both been divorced and they've both been married. So how can that be adultery? Why did God say that? God is not a God of confusion. God has something else that he put in place. What God has joined together. God didn't join two men together. God didn't join two women together. If you've got a problem with that, then 
I'm, I'm more than happy to sit down and study with you. God didn't join them together. So there's something else in this relationship besides this divorce, this marriage, and this marriage. Because they're both committing adultery. So let's jump back to Romans 7. He gives us the reason here why this is. For the... <clears throat> For the married woman is bound by law. By God's law. What God's joined together, they're bound. So this here is God. There's somebody else in mind in your relationships. It's not just the Romans 13 that I went to the courthouse and I fulfilled man's law with marriage. There is God in this relationship. Woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, while, so then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. The husband has to die. They're bound together by God's law. God is not separating marriages. So whenever you go back, so whenever you go back to Luke, it becomes understandable why I can get a divorce and I can go marry somebody, but I'm still living in adultery in God's eyes. Because I did it man's way. I did this over here with man, but I didn't change God joining me together. I am bound to Sandra by God. Do you see that logic? This is a... Our husband and wife relationship is a, is a co covenant relationship between God and us. Reagan says that all the time. I don't even know if I got it right, Reagan. But Reagan, and it's, begin, it's from the beginning of time. And so, you've got to understand somebody else is in this marriage relationship. And only God can break that. I don't have the right. Let not man separate. Now, the religious world 200 years ago believed this. <coughs> If we went back to everybody in Jessup and we went back to their writings, you would find 200 years ago. Martin Luther said, this isn't hard to, this isn't hard to understand. You know why this is hard to understand? It's emotional to us. It's emotional to me. Because it has consequences. Because we as humans, 
get ourselves in so many tight places and we don't know how to get out of them. This is key. This is key. And the reason I started off the loop is if you can understand that there's a bond that God puts there between us. That's what you have to understand. It's not mine. It's God. I chose Sandra. I think Sandra chose me. But the whole point is, when we got married, we got married in front of a congregate of people, and we got married in front of God. God put us together. Romans 7, I just talked about that. I'll skip over this pretty quick for time's sake. But you need to understand it's, 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 for, li it's for life. It's for life here. And we'll talk about the exception in just a minute. And so once someone is dead, so once the husband is dead, we're released from that bond between God. And so there's a widow here. I don't think anybody questions this. This widow can go marry someone else. As long as they have a right for marriage. They have to have to be able to be bound. They can't be bound to somebody else. They've got to, they've got to be eligible to marry too. And then God will put them together in a bond. Matthew 19, 9. I'm not going through all the scriptures. I'm teaching you uh, what I believe is truth. There are many different errors out there that you can go find. And I encourage you to go find them. I will be more than happy, and the men of this congregation will be more than happy to sit down and talk with you. Because I see people out there changing the word adultery. If I can change the definition of the word adultery, I get past stuff. I can go start changing things, but I've never seen adultery mean nothing but someone that was married that had sexual relationships with someone. So, Matthew 19, 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. If you read the New American Standard like I do, it has a footnote there and it says some early manuscripts add, early manuscripts, so I'm not quite sure why they did this, and he who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If you, whenever you leave that in there, it, everything matches Luke except for these three words. Okay? And these three words are except for immorality. Now, if you different translations, it's fornication. And if you'll notice really close and pay attention, you'll see we've got several different translations of words in here. <coughs> because we say here for fornication here, when you don't see it, fornication, it, it says immorality. But those are definitions of words, and those definitions are, are consistent with the teaching. So, Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality does not commit adultery because there is an exception there. 
So God releases this bond when there someone has stepped out of the marriage and the person divorces them for adultery. For fornication. Okay? Who broke this bond? God's word did. God did. I didn't. This is the only exception here. So you got death. If you're married, you got death, and you got if, if they step out. Now remember, why is this? In the Old Testament, if a woman or a man was called in adultery, what happened to them by two or more witnesses? They were stoned. This passage didn't apply. This passage didn't apply in the Old Testament. The death passage applied. We're not under that. God, that's not what Christ said to do. And we see where he stopped the stoning. So whoever divorces his wife except for a male and marries another woman commits adultery. So the question is, is God broke this bond, is there still a bond here for the person that committed adultery? And if you go here and you look at the manuscripts, it says that whoever marries a divorced woman. So this statement up here stands alone. This statement here stands alone. But also, I believe Matthew 5.32 teaches, because I want you to notice the difference between Matthew 19, 9 and 5.32. 5.32 should scare you to death. And do not think it is the same as Matthew 19. This should scare you what Christ is teaching. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So we have a husband divorcing his wife. But in 19, it says he commits adultery if he remarries. In 532, it says you make her commit adultery. So, why is that scary? The woman had no control over this. And most likely during Christ's time, the woman didn't have economic means to take care of herself. She was going to go marry another man. And Christ is sitting here saying, you make her commit adultery. Now she has the choice. God will always give you a path out. But the teaching here is telling the man, you're causing your wife to sin. You're most likely causing your wife to sin. And you know what? He answers that question in Luke 18. And in Luke 18, he says, if you cause one of these to sin, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and put on the ocean. This is a scary statement to me. Christ is teaching, you better not be divorcing. I don't know how God's going to judge 
that. I do not know. But I can tell you this, is you're going to make her commit adultery, but if the exception's there, she's already committed the adultery. Do you see that? So, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, if it's for the reason of unchastity, she's already committed adultery. Right? Make sure you see the difference between these two passages. If he divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, here it says, if he divorces his wife, you cause her, you make her commit adultery. And he rounds this out. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is God's teaching. I didn't write these words. I do not understand. I, I think I understand. But this person is still bound in this relationship because of their unchastity, fornication, adultery. The other example of Matthew 19 is whoever divorces his wife, we're going to skip over except for immorality. We're not going to talk about that because there's two cases here. So whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. This chart should look familiar to you. This is the same statement that's in Luke. And by the way, Mark 10 has the same, has, has, has that and here's the neat thing about Martin. If you notice, this is all the male divorcing. The male is divorcing the wife. That's because that's how it worked in Jewish times. But guess what? Martin gives the wife the ability to divorce because that's written to the Greeks, the Gentiles, and the Romans. Because in their society, it would be like our society. So he divorces his wife and marries another, commits adultery. And so basically what this says, and whoever marries the divorced uh, woman commits adultery. And that's the same exact phrasing that's in Luke. Same exact. So whenever you take the exception out here in Matthew 19, you are... You're basically dealing with Luke. That's all you're dealing with. <coughs> I want to go back, and I just I meant to make this point, and I didn't make this point. It doesn't make sense for me. I think the words are clear, but I also want to come back and make this 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 argument too. Is that if I send more, I get to go remarry? So if, if, if my wife commits fornication, if my wife commits unchastity, then she's free to remarry? Well, that doesn't make sense. So just think about that argument, too, uh, on the previous Matthew 19. So this New Testament teaching applied to what Christ said to the woman at the well. So the woman of the well said, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. 
The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. So let's look at this from a graphical point of view. She was married. I've, I've left. I've messed up the slides, Mark. I just realized that. So she was married. She was bound. She got a divorce. She's still bound here. She remarried. Notice the divorce came green because she's getting out of sin here. But she's still bound back here. Notice that she is still bound to this first person. That's what Christ was saying. You had five husbands. You've been married five times, six times. Back here is where you belong. So the whole point is she belongs back here. Mark 6. We have Herod, Herodias, and Philip. I have no clue about Philip, whether he should be green or what. I don't know. Don't. So do not, that is not teaching up there. That is just for illustration purposes, okay? I'm trying to take some biblical passages and apply New Testament divorce and remarriage teaching. I'm assuming that Herod, Herodias and Herod were married. I don't know. I, I'm assuming that because, actually I can say that because Philip, to, to Philip, because John the Baptist says, that's your husband. So he said, that's your husband over there. So for Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother, Philip. So John the Baptist says, Philip's. Philip is her husband. For John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herod and Herodias is not. John lost. He felt this was strong enough teaching that he kept preaching it. You decide what you want to do whenever John decided he wasn't going to stop preaching. You decide that, but the whole point is he got his head cut off for this. It was worth that much to him. So you can ask the question, was he, was he a prophet or was he from man? The Pharisees asked that question. So you can ask that question yourself. I'm not going to ask that question. The point is, John was teaching something. So that concludes pretty much the lesson. If you think this is hard teaching, guess what? You're among the disciples in the New Testament. You're among the disciples in the New Testament because after Matthew 19, 9, verse 10, the disciples said to him, if the relationship of man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. The disciples understood what Christ just taught was one man, one woman for life. And there was one reason to break that covenant while they both were living. And it was fornication, unchastity.
They understood that. Why would they make this comment? It's better not even to get married if we got the, you know. And I won't go into all that, but I'm more than happy to sit down. Guys, this is so, this is something we need to be studying. And the reason we need to be studying is that we're sanctified. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is very different. There's a chasm between the world and Christ's teaching today. There is a chasm between those. I don't care how good you are. I don't care who you are. We are all drawn to that. And if we're not studying God's word, we're not trying to dissect what does God want me to do so I can get to heaven? <clears throat> Lastly, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's We'll save it. That's not my words, guys. For what does it, for whoever, for what does a, it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? God did not ask us to come to church on Sunday. Matter of fact, I thought it was a very appropriate passage this morning in Psalms 51. <clears throat> Pull your Bible out. Go to Psalms 51. I'm having living here. But I was just like, wow, what, what? Psalm 51, for you do not, do not delight, in verse 16, 51, 16, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart of God. You will not despise. Are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to have that broken contrite heart? Are we willing to give it all for God? Because that's what he's asking. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. And remember, we, we commented, why does God think this is an adulterous and generation? And there's a lot more to Matthew and Mark's account of the conversation around divorce. Because they had the same problem then, and Christ took it and taught differently. So adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory of his Father with holy angels. We have a choice. 
we have a choice to come to Christ and His Word. The world is not teaching Christ's Word. I pray, I have prayed for several days that what I've taught here today is in keeping with God's Word. I am going to be judged by what I've said here today. I think I could have made a, a slip of one word here and there, but I think I've taught the gospel. <coughs> Folks, Christ's teaching on marriage and divorce and remarriage, there's hours that we can still work on this. I covered the peaks. Let's sit down and study. Because it's not mine and your decision on what I want to do. It's what God's word says. And we're here to try to get to heaven. We're here to try to get each other to heaven. We are here to serve God. Nobody else. And the only way we know is by looking at his word and understanding his word. So if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, thank you for your kind attention. Let me, let me say, thank you for your kind attention. I hope this whets your appetite to go study. Do not go and study and come up with a different conclusion without talking and discussing. Our souls depend on it. My soul depends on it. If there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, anyone here that needs to repent of a sin publicly, we leave this opportunity in the services. Please come forward as we stand and sing.